start in Galatians chapter 6. We read this verse, I think, last week or the week before. At some point in life, we read this verse. I want to start there today. I want to look at the topic of strangers and pilgrims. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. And uh, we talked about this a while ago, but again, just to, just to remind ourselves that a strange thing, strange thing, I guess um, an odd thing happens when you make Jesus your Lord and, and believe that God raised him from the dead, is that um, you are given citizenship in heaven. You have eternal life, and you're not of this world anymore. That reality happens very quickly when you get born again. But the truth of that reality sometimes takes time for believers to understand how, how much of an impact that change in citizenship has had in your life. Uh, and Paul here wrote, you know, he said that uh, because of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the world is crucified unto me. It's dead. It's not something that he thinks much about. And I onto the world, and the world doesn't think much about him either. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's, I guess it's a mutual understanding. <laughs> I don't think about you. You don't think about me. So there, <laughs> you know. But and the reason is, I mean, you become a foreigner to the world at that point. And and as much as that we recognize that, and then we try to live that way, we will grow in our ability to walk with with God. But if we just continue to try to stay and be a part of the world of which we were before, then that will be to our detriment. Um, in First John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, we're in the world, but we're not of it. First John says in a little bit different way, but similar truth. Verse 15, 1 John chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That's pretty all-encompassing. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And when you get born again, when you become a believer, you know, the more you work on studying God's word or to walk, you know, by God's word, the more out of place you feel in this world. Because certainly the things of the world are not oriented towards helping us to walk with God. Uh, so that's why it's okay if you know you go to a foreign country, you can't speak the language, you don't know how, what kind of food they serve there, you don't know what the weather's like, whether it's minus 11 in Alberta or plus 25 in North Carolina, who knows, you know, wherever you go. But you get there, you feel out of place. It's not, they're not used to this. The more you get into God's word, the more you allow him to increase and yourself to decrease, the more of a foreigner and out of place you feel. You begin to look around and say, you know what, I, there's just nothing. This world really doesn't hold anything for me. I feel out of place. I'm a stranger. I'm a foreigner, a pilgrim in this place. And that is, that is the truth of God's word. You know, God said in John, John 3, 
that God so loved the world. Well, he, he just told us not to love the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. When he loved the world, he loved the people because he wanted to have what he wanted them to have eternal life. That's God's love for the world. Now he tells us, now you've got it. Don't love the things of the world. I've taken you out of that. Look at First John chapter, th sorry, First Corinthians chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three. This section in Corinthians ought to be something we think about every single day of our lives. It's um, it's vital to remember God's encouragement to those who walk in this life. First John chapter, First Corinthians. I'm stuck in John, verse seven. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now the word of God says that every person is going to receive his own reward according to his own labor. This is going to happen. This is not some kind of, oh, wouldn't this be cool? No, this is going to happen. God says that every person is going to receive his own award, reward according to his own labor, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, so this is Paul, and another buildeth thereupon, thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So this gives you some guidance that you are definitely going to be doing some kind of building in this life. That's a given. You do some kind of building. So Paul's exhortation is, take heed what kind of building we do. For other foundation, verse 11, can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we're very clear. The foundation is Jesus Christ. That is it. There is no one else going to come and lay some other foundation based on Buddha or Krishna or anything else or Muhammad or anything. Jesus Christ is the foundation. That's God's word. Now if any man, verse 12, build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, and you can, so the fact that he writes this means that you definitely could build wood, things that are, you know, foundation of gold, silver, you could do these things. Every man's work, verse 13, shall be made manifest. It's going to be made, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed or tested or proved by fire. And the, fires, the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So this work that you know you're building in your life, whatever it is, someday it will be proven. It will be tested. All the things you've done. Verse 14. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. That is going to happen. You are going to get a reward for any work that, that stands the test or the proving by fire that's going to take place. Verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. So all those things that were done that weren't built in the foundation of Jesus Christ, those for 
each per will suffer loss, yet but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So there is no problem, no issue with a believer ever losing eternal life. We know that. That's very clear. But there's a very clear chance of believers losing what they have built upon, whatever they've built upon. If they built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, well, that work will abide and each believer will receive a reward. That's what it, is that what it says? That's what it says. But if the work that I've done or built on that is not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, but it's built on the foundation of something else, maybe it's good works or whatever it is that are not related to the Word of God or anything like that, whatever, it will suffer loss. Believers will suffer loss. This is going to happen. I, I teach this, I share this because, you know, we're strangers and pilgrims in this world, but the work that you do here has an impact in your eternity. There's much in God's Word that talks about the things and decisions and, and things you get involved with here, the impact they have in eternity. And that's something we ought to think about every single day of our lives. Um, look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy Verse 8, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. See, there, God says, now he's told us in Corinthians that you, know, you can work and build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And then you see other verses where you know, God points you to things that you can do today that impact your eternity. Here God says, this is, this is even a, a double blessing. For working on your relationship with the Father, with God, Godliness, which is what that is, your relationship with Him, working on that relationship and, and the closeness, the trust you have, the ability you have to hear from Him and the ability you have to walk with Him. If you work in that relationship, it says nothing, not only does it bless you here, but also in the ages, in the ages to come. Well, so that would be kind of like a, Double blessing. That might be something that I want to do here while I'm here, is to work on godliness, my relationship with God, and how I can learn to trust Him and walk with Him. Because here, God's Word says very, very distinct, clearly, that it is profitable today and on the, in the life that which is to come. So you see how future things that are going to happen in the future are impacted by what you're doing here. And those are the things that, you know, we should be very interested in and very concerned about. And look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15. You can know this section, but I just want to read it in light of a future event and how it has a, a bearing on today. 1 Corinthians 15. As we know, this is talking about a future event that will take place either tonight or a thousand years from now. I don't know. We don't know. No man knows the hour, but it's going to take place. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall all sleep, but we shall, we shall not all sleep, sorry, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. This is going to happen. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, 
and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this section we just read talks about this wonderful future event, which is the hope of every Christian believer. Because of that future event, he says in verse 58, Therefore, because this is going to happen, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. Where? After that event happens? No, today, here and now, when you're a stranger and a pilgrim in this world, he says, be ye steadfast. Unmovable. Where? Here. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Where? Here. So he tells you to do all these, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know. It's interesting, this is said right after he talks about the return of Jesus Christ to gather the church, for as, that you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So do you think that necessarily those blessings he's talking about take place here? Or is he talking about a future reality that is based on what you are doing here. He says, because of the return of Jesus Christ, folks, you you know, be steadfast, unmovable. Don't let anybody move you. Do you think those things that he's asking us to do may be in the category of working, uh, working, sorry, building things based on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Being steadfast, being unmovable, always bound, laboring, to, to serve God and his people, maybe those are things that 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is talking about. Well, certainly it's the same thing he's saying here, isn't it? Because it won't be in vain. God knows. God is not a fool. God is not a man. You can't, you know, God sees these things. He's not unrighteous like people are. It may not, and you know, we know this by now because this world is not our, not our home. The reward is not here. It is a future reality. But the work is here, which impacts that future reality. So, you know, yeah, we're not of this world, but there are certain, God has given us work to do while we're here, and that is the work for which every believer will be rewarded for eternity. And what is eternity compared to the number of years we spend in this world? It's not even worthy to be compared, is it? Look at First Thessalonians. Again, the other section that talks about the wonderful gathering together. First Thessalonians chapter 4. You guys know this section. So we're going to start verse 16. We'll just say, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Again, a future event, and as a result, verse 18, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So in this case here, the impact, the, the, the blessing of knowing about that future event, that you should be very comfort. we should all be very comforted in this life here. You see how the things that God has designed in the future, are meant to have a blessing 
to you today, to have an impact on our lives today, and the things you do, the way you feel, the way you de- live each day of your life, our lives. God has said, this has happened. Remember, he showed Paul this, right? You know, Corinthians talks about God showed this to Paul, and Paul said, you know, I, I was shown this, but he told me not to write it down, but I did see it. So why do you think Paul saw it? Why do you think God showed that to him? Because he needed Paul around for a little, by a little bit longer to do some things. You know, he showed him. So here's what's coming. And as a result, you, know, you can get through what you're going through. And Paul, as we know, went through an awful lot. But he knew what was coming. You know, if you were to you know, invest in what's coming compared to investing in this life, those investments you know, have, bear returns throughout all of eternity. You know, and um, they really ought to impact the decisions in our life. And that's what I want to look at now. It's Hebrews chapter 11. Believers in God's Word. It's very easy to skip over some of these records. But interesting to note how because of this future reality that God has given. Because God has always given man hope. Because of the hope that He gave people, how radically it altered the lives of people while they were living while they were living in the world. They realized that they were not of the world and had a radical impact on the decisions they made on a daily basis and the lives they chose to lead. Because this is a reality. It is going to happen. Someday everything we do on this earth will be tried by fire and you will be rewarded for that which remains. That's what God's Word says. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. He didn't even know where he was going. God just told him to leave. He said, okay, I'm leaving. Even that one verse, you know, you, you can go back in the Old Testament, you know, you've all read it about Abraham and the friend of God and all that. And Well, is that easy to do? Like you just, you know, we skip over, oh, Abraham wasn't cool. Abraham took his whole family and left. Well, think about the daily decisions he had to make in order to do, in order to carry this out. What would make him, and he was a rich man, wealthy man. He had a lot of servants, a lot of holdings, so to speak. He just left, went somewhere else when God told him to go. Why would he do that? What kind, of, what kind of decisions, what kind of thinking does a man go through in order to be able to make and radically altering decisions in their life? Well, verse keep reading, which he should afterward receive for inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac, and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's why he did it. Because what he was looking for, what he saw, and you know, remember that wonderful confrontation uh, that Jesus Christ had with men in John chapter 8, when he told them about Abraham, how Abraham saw his coming, and he rejoiced to see his coming. You see, that's what Abraham was thinking about. He wasn't thinking about the the difficulties he now had to deal with in his personal life about selling his hut, I don't know, tent, whatever they sold in those days, camels, (laughs) whatever. Whatever he had to do in order to, you know, reestablishing his whatever in his household and his family and 
all his stock, livestock, and going somewhere else. And not to mention, normally when people move in this world, <laughs> you say, I'm moving? Where are you going? I'm going to 101 Green Street. And you say, Abraham, where are you going? I don't know. So that's going to cost, cost you a lot of money with U-Haul because they have a fixed price on where you're going. But if you don't know where you're going, <laughs> he was, you know, here he was. I'm, I don't know where I'm going. Well, why are you doing that? Well, I can see what's going to come. I see his city, his builder and maker is God. And the way Jesus Christ put it, he saw my day and he rejoiced. He made decisions about his coming day. Right? Um, in Hebrews, let's keep going, verse 13. Let's jump down to verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them. See, they see them, they didn't receive them, they saw them and were persuaded of them. These promises God had made, they were persuaded. We know this is going to happen, and they embraced them. Those promises God had made, they, they were persuaded of them, and they embraced them. They didn't just give it some passing thought, oh, that's really nice. So what's for supper? No, they, they, they persuaded them, offered them, and they were embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They realized that the day-to-day, the things that they were involved in here, was not what they were all about. They were given promises, and they thought about them, and they were persuaded of them. And when you're persuaded of a promise, you know, someone tells you, this stock's going to jump a thousand percent in the next three days. You better sell everything you have and invest in this stock. I guarantee if you're persuaded that you will do exactly that. Well, this is going to happen. This is a reality. It's, so if we're persuaded and embrace those promises the way these people did, what decisions, what things would I would do differently in my life today in light of those future promises that I know are going to happen? And it gives you a bit of an understanding why Abraham might have said, okay, let's go. Where are we going, God? Strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 14, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Just like Abraham, looking for a city, a builder who's maker, builder and maker is God. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country, from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. So other versions translate this verse much better. It's really what it's saying that if that country they were looking for was Egypt, where they came from, they could have gone back. And in fact, a few of them tried, didn't they? didn't end so well but that wasn't the country they were seeking and it wasn't they weren't being mindful of the country they came from they were looking for well it says right there let's read it verse 16 but now they desire a better country that is unheavenly wherefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he hath prepared for them a city this is talking about old testament believers now right this is talking about the old testament believers not the church prepared for them a city down to verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. There's a promise that bloody, I'd say, millions of people would not be able to turn down. He didn't. He refused. Why? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. What a masochist. He would rather go through pain and suffering 
then become king of the greatest empire, one of the greatest empires on the face of the earth, then to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Why? Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Just like Abraham rejoiced to see his day, that's what Jesus Christ said. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Decisions made today in light of future events. That's a heck of a decision. If you just sit down someday and spend a you know a few minutes thinking about, well, if I was Moses and I'm about to give me rule over all of Egypt, you know, here it's it's available to you, Moses. He said, No, I'd rather spend forty years of my life being miserable. No, he didn't know all the details were gonna happen. <laughs> but he knew whatever it was, it was way more valuable than this thing that he was being offered. On, in, on a world which to, to which he was a stranger and a pilgrim. It was not his world. It was not the place that he was going to realize all the blessings and promises of God. Same is true for us. This is not it. It's, you might someday say, well, you know, where Jane and I were talking about this last week, the world is really unjust. I know it's a, it's a, it's a surprise and shock to all of you, right? We live in an unjust world, right? You know, so how often do you hear about things happening, crimes being committed, people don't get, paid, you know, aren't punished for, or unjust decisions being made that have impacts on millions of people that are ungodly and unethical and all the gambit of things. This world is not our home. We, we're not to love the world or things of the world. We're to love Christ and what He did, and we're to do works built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, because they will have returns that will be paid through eternity. That's a big difference so instead of being worried about the unjustness of the world you know it's it's unjust let's just tick box unjust yes move on how about working to build on the foundation of jesus christ and seeing where that gets us did moses have a difficult time <laughs> my goodness you know we read it before verse 27 but again he had respect unto the recompense of the reward 27 he embraced he was persuaded and he confessed, just like those people. Verse 27, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that des- destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were d- drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, after they had been, were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not not with them that believed not when she had received sorry, she perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and also in the Samuel and the prophets, all these believers of old, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection, that not, not accepting deliverance, isn't 
saying that they had the opportunity to not go through but they felt like torturing being tortured for Jesus tortured for God or for the coming of the Christ was something that God was telling them to do no it's not that when they talks about not accepting deliverance what they're talking about is those who tried to do what they did to Shadrach Meshach and Abednego and goes look you guys need to bow he goes no we're not going to bow they refused to deny their faith to get out of situations they refused to deny their faith because they knew something better was coming. So when it says that, you know, um, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. They didn't. They refused to deny their faith because they knew what was coming. And that better resurrection is a promise to Israel. That's what they were thinking about. That better resurrection is the promise to Israel. To us, what is it? The gathering together is what we're anticipating but the thinking of that future event whether it's a gathering together or the resurrection for Israel the impact it has on our daily life is the same are we are we as convinced of that future event as these people were who did everything they could in light of that they embraced they confessed they were persuaded of it. And as a result, let's go back to verse 35. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. They didn't turn their back on God, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. How many people are, would be willing to do these things, if necessary, for the sake of Jesus Christ, to serve Him? They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, not sorry, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Absolutely not, because they are not of the world. They are strangers and pilgrims. Not of the world. Of course the world's not worthy. It's an unjust world. Nothing in the world hold, held any sway to them compared to the coming of the Christ and the better resurrection. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through believing, received not the promise. And yet, they made some pretty life-changing decisions in light of the promise, didn't they? radically altered their lives. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore seeing, verse chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, these wonderful believers of the Old Testament, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, a future event for him that allowed him to endure the cross. You see, knowing what's coming allows you to deal with the here and now. Same for Jesus Christ. He knew that he was going to be raised, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him. See, think about Him. Just take that endured such contradiction of sinners against Him. 
self. See, he, what did Jesus Christ go through? This is the culmination of what we just read in parts of chapter 11. There were great examples. Their love for God and the coming of the Lord and all, the better resurrection, was a, they're great examples to us. But here, by revelation, we're told Jesus Christ is the best example. For consider, think about him. What did he go through knowing what was coming? What did he go through and why? It says, Lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. So if you ever feel that you're going to get tired of this fight, and it is a fight in an unjust world, you know, God said, look, and just think about my son. What did he go through on your behalf? And Paul writes, now that he went through all this on your behalf, we ought to be very concerned about building on the foundation that he laid for us. Because every man, woman, child, everybody will be rewarded for the work that is done to build upon that foundation. We'll close in 2 Timothy chapter 4. So we started with Paul. Let's finish with Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought a good fight. You know, and you can apply that to all those believers who read about in the fights, their personal fights that they went through in light of the better resurrection. The things, the decisions they made, you know, we know the decisions Paul made. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there was laid up for me. See, it's always that in light of what's coming, he was able to fight. In light of what's coming, he was able to finish. And that's what God says in Hebrews. Don't get weary. Don't faint. Finish. Stand a lifetime on the promises of his word returning concerning the return of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, see, the world's not righteous, but the Lord is, the righteous judge shall give at that day, give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So then we too, you know, uh, are faced with many daily decisions of life. We go through many phases, and we go, you know, family and kids and school and education and jobs and all these things that come at us are in a way. We're faced with many decisions. You know, perhaps when we make those decisions, it would be wise for us to consider that we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. So what am I making, the decision that I'm making right now, whatever it might be, what am I making that decision in light of? What am I thinking about? What motivates that decision? For the believers in the Old Testament, it was the better resurrection. For us, it's the gathering together and the ages to come. What decisions might we make differently today if we too are persuaded of the truths, of these truths, and embrace them as did the believers of old? Something to think about on a daily basis that we are indeed strangers and pilgrims, and we're in good company with wonderful believers who stood a lifetime for what they knew was coming, even though they didn't see it, yet it allowed them to stand a lifetime. Because eternity, boy, it's not even worthy to be compared with the short number of years we live here. So, 